getting up to speed a bit on where we're at in our sermon series. We're going to wrap up um, uh, the series on Philippians. We've been studying it for a while. I hope you've read the book. It's a phenomenal read. And um, I'm going to remind you a bit of where we're at, but I want to just kind of talk about an overarching principle that we have. So in the book of Philippians, the book was written by the Apostle Paul to the church in Philippi, and he wrote it to them to kind of explain um, how to do ministry together. That's kind of what, it's like doing a shared ministry. Ministry is like a church word for working for God together, what God has called you to do together. And this can be anything from what happens at, at, in the big C church, what God is doing, right? The church globally. It can be any local church. Uh, it can be your family a, as you follow Christ together, what, what the ministry, the mission that God has you on together. And Paul kind of um, articulates to Philippi, uh, the church in Philippi, what it means to do mission together. And so that's why I've been spending some time studying this book. Um, and I'm, we're doing many things together as a church, but there's a lot of correction in here and a lot of encouragement in here. And here's the biggest thing, I think. There's a lot of right thinking in here how church ought to be. You know what I mean? Because if you, if you just kind of make up church, you know, on our own, it can look like something like, someone asked a great question. They said, if Jesus walked into the church today would he recognize it as what he started, right? Um, I love the songs we sang today because Jesus started a radical movement with the church. It wasn't supposed to continue religiosity. It wasn't supposed to continue self-righteousness or works-based faith. It was to set his people free into this proclamation of a gospel of a God that loves you enough that he would die for you save you in spite of your sin, and then put his Holy Spirit in you to battle for the righteousness of your soul so that you might be with him forever. I mean, it's this huge gospel that was born in the church. And so it's not a, and so sometimes I feel like we just get in this mode. So Philippians has been really good to study to think about, man, what's different? What ought to be different about how we follow Jesus? And today, you came on an awesome Sunday because this uh, text today is just phenomenal. I mean, you could read this anywhere and be blessed. Like, it's ridiculous. And so I'm super excited to share it with you this morning. Um, the last thing I talked to you about before the two weeks on discipleship that we did, and we're going to have more stuff coming up in the fall, actually, not just about discipleship, but about what God's been revealing to the leadership team. So be looking forward to that as well. But the last thing I talked to you about was um, Timothy and Brofro. Remember, we were out at the park. We talked about that and the power of showing up. And I've been so encouraged by so many of you who come and said, you know, it's like we were thinking about that, the power of showing up. I realized it's important for me to be there in situations uh, where I'm needed, where, where I can't be replaced, and, and how people have done that for us. And so we were kind of talking about um, this incarnational uh, ministry um, we had a really cool experience on vacation. One of the things we would do, for right, wrong, or otherwise, is we seek out a place to worship. And I was reminded again about the power of physical, real, like eyeball-to-eyeball ministry, like being in each other's business. We are in a culture right now where everything is through screens. You know what I'm saying? We are more comfortable in front of a computer screen than we are in front of a human being. And that's a strange place to be as a people that God created to be together. And so I was reminded again of the power of incarnational ministry. That means physical presence in ministry. And so Paul talked about that right before. He talked about sending people with the gospel, receiving people with the gospel, celebrating what is happening in the world. And so today we're going to talk then in Ephesians or in Philippians 3 about Paul's great exhortation for righteousness. 
You know what I'm saying? Like a great expectation for righteousness. And not only that, but he's, he's going to tell us how to deal with religious people. It's crazy you think you learn that in church, but he's going to teach you how to deal with religious people. And we're going to talk about that today. So I'm going to read this scripture. If you want to turn in your Bible, if you brought one, to Philippians 3. Um, if you didn't, gosh, I can't remember the page number. Our technology is acting silly this morning. So you're going to have to kind of find it. It's toward the back of the book, you see. Um, if you have an iPad or an iPod or a phone, there's awesome apps you can get. You can read it on your phone, which is sweet. So feel free to look it up on your phone if you have, like, the Bible app or Bible IS or whatever. Um, Bible Gateway is another one that's really good. Hear the scripture together this morning, and then we're going to pray, and then we're going to talk about what, what Paul teaches here. Verse 1. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. There's no trouble for me to write the same thing to you again, and it's a safeguard for you. Watch out for those dogs, those men who do evil, those mutilators of the flesh. For it is we who are the circumcision. It, it is we who worship by the Spirit of God. It is we who glory in Christ Jesus and who put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reasons for such confidence. If anyone else thinks he has reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law, a Pharisee, as for zeal, a persecutor of the church, as for legalistic righteousness, blameless. But whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ. The righteousness that comes from God and is by faith. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in death, and so somehow to attain to the resurrection from the dead. A great word. Let's pray. Uh, Father, this morning we are so uh, awed to be in your presence, and we don't wake up uh, different on Sunday mornings. You are the God of all days, of all times, of all minutes, of all hours. There's no, no time hidden from you, but this time for us is a time of gathering in your name. We want to hear again the promises of your scriptures. We want to hear again the good news of your son, Jesus. And we're going to celebrate all you're doing in our lives. And Father, would you help us during this time to cast off all that cynicism, all that doubt, all that anger and frustration or hurt or whatever it is that keeps us from you today? And will you just draw us into your grace? You are so good and we are so not worthy of your goodness. And yet you pour it out every day on us. May this time of worship, may this time in your word be a time that we are attentive to the teaching your Holy Spirit has for us. And may we glorify you with lips that never stop. May we glorify you for your goodness in this world and beyond. We give you praise and glory. In the powerful name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. So Paul, it's funny that he says finally here because we're going to realize that Paul's going to go on for quite a bit longer in this book about the finalies, the final exhortations, the final greetings he's going to do. But here he says this. He says, finally, my brothers and sisters, by the way, it's Adelphos, it's the believing family. 
Rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord. Um, there, there are several times in the book of Philippians that Paul exhorts, that's a church word, encourages, commands, invites the church to be joyous about Christ, to be joyous about the Lord. And here he says, finally, brothers, rejoice in the Lord, right? Now, I want to talk about this because we have these kind of, we put on these, um, our own understandings of what the scriptures mean, but I, I love when you dig into the word, and you can do this for yourself, so you don't need me to do this for you. You can really find out like the depth of what God is talking about when he says rejoice. He doesn't just mean like smack on a fake smile and pretend it's okay. You, you know, he doesn't, he, it's like this rejoicing thing, but I'll tell you, there's this great definition for it. The, the, the word rejoice actually has its root in grace, it's rooted, the, the root word is grace, and it means to lean into grace. I don't know if you're like me, but there are times that I need, almost all the time, so badly to lean into the grace of the Lord. He says, rejoice, finally, brothers, rejoice in the Lord. Lean into his grace. It, it, it's this beautiful picture, and I don't know if you feel that way about God. I told you that when Jesus started the church, he started something totally different than, than the religious people ever expected. But do you believe that God is the kind of God that you can lean into, right? That you can kind of nestle up with, that you can get really close to, and that you, you will be received in grace. Because that's the gospel that Paul proclaimed. Lean into the grace, now what? Uh, in the Lord, which is no joke. So Paul, Paul's like obedient dude, right? Paul started the church in Philippi. But Paul says, when you go to the master, when you go to your boss, because Jesus, if you believe in Jesus as Savior, he's your boss, right? Do you get that about your life? Like he's in charge. The reason we ought to be praying is we understand what our boss wants us to do. What do you think of this idea? What do you think of this direction, Lord? What would you have us to do? And, and here he says, but, but Paul says, when you go talk to the boss, it's going to be like leading into grace. It's going to be a good thing. I remember uh, whenever I worked in corporate America, I don't know if you guys ever have this response. Maybe you don't. Some of you guys are probably awesome. Who in here is kind of confrontational when you deal with things? You're okay with confrontation. It's okay. It's not a sin to be that way. Anyone? You just, yeah, there you go. A few people just like, man, hit it head on. Not afraid of that. I'm going to go in there. I'm one of those dudes that whenever I was in corporate, like if I had to go to my boss's office and I didn't know what was going on, or if I had to go in and talk to him about something that I needed, I need vacation, or um, I broke something, <laughs> you know, uh, I made a huge mistake. As I walked to the, my ears would get really red. Does anyone have that happen? And I would get almost dizzy. And I would get, and, and I want to tell you something about the boss I'm thinking of, because this was the best boss I ever worked for. Like, he was always with you, man. He was never against you. He understood that the way he got the best work out of you is to be on your side. He wasn't one of those guys you hated to see. And yet when I came to him needing something, I would be terrified. I would, I would walk up and say, this is his door. I'd walk up to the door. I'd be like, okay. I'll just keep. And I'd go around. I'd grab some coffee, you know. And I would keep passing by until I'd finally go. It's like going off the high dive, man. I would just go, here we go. One, two, three. <gasps> Through the threshold. Hey, Wayne. 
And he'd say, hey, what can I do for you? And then there was nothing to it. It would be good. He would help me figure out the mess. He would, he would give me uh, his ideas, and he was paying my salary. And I wonder how many of us don't feel that way about Jesus. How many of us don't feel like we can just walk into a throne and be like, oh, Jesus, I, I messed this up. Or, oh, Jesus, I need your help. We talked about crying out for help in our worship today. How awesome is that? How I need you. Oh, I, I just need to lean into your grace. Not, not to say there's another, it's who he is. He loves us. He died to save us. His door is open. Man, I dig that. And Paul says here to the church in Philippi, listen, church, rejoice in the Lord. You know, like be eager to hang out with him. Be eager to go and talk to him. Find out what he has for your life. I'm convinced that some of us are so afraid that what Jesus has for our life isn't as good of a plan as what we have for our life that we reject him. How goofy is that? He's the God of all good things. Seek him out and ask just, you know, look that way. Check it out. So I'm going to read a little more here. Watch out then. Paul says, beware or look. He says, see. Look around and see those evildoers. I'm in verse 2 now. Watch out for those dogs, those men who work evil, those mutilators of the flesh. Right? And so Paul says, in this life, you're going to have people who are going to be saying false things about God, who are going to, be, who are going to have their own you know, appetites, those, those, those dogs, they're, they're, they're hungry, they, they want something different than what God wants. You know, to be evil is to be opposite of what God wants. You know that. And, and so Paul says, listen, lean into the grace of Christ, but, but be aware of those workers of the flesh. My favorite, um, my favorite thing is the third here. It's, it says um, mutilators of the f- flesh. Some of your Bibles might say false circumcision. Um, the word actually means those who would cut you down, man. You know, like Johnny Cash had a great song about, I'm going to cut you down, you know? Like the people who just take, they just wide sweeps with a sword. You know what I mean? They're the people that are just out for blood. They're not looking out for you. They're not on your side. They're not in your corner. And Paul says, be, be wary of those people who would come to you. And I'm said, I'm going to help you deal with religious people. But there are people who put on the illusion of holiness they put on the, 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 the pomp and circumstance of holiness, but what they really want is just to see people mowed down so they can feel like they're above it. And that is not the gospel of Jesus. It's not how it works. And so Paul says, be warned, beware, look out for those who would come and, and mutilate the flesh, who would cut you down in your righteousness. What's he say next? You're looking at your Bibles. He says, it is we who are the circumcision. So, so I want you to see, he just kind of puts them out there like that, right? But he says, be, be wary of those who would cut you down. But we, and he means the believers, are the circumcision. I'm, I'm, I'm going to kind of walk around that a bit, but this idea of circumcision is a biblical idea about God's covenant promises to his people to deliver them. You remember, Right? That God's doing a good thing, and it was a sign to the world that God was with the Israelites. And, and when Paul, Paul talks about circumcision, he, he's not talking about someone who's being now, now cutting them down, but about a very exact slice that preserves the most important thing. Now, some of you guys are probably going, oh boy, the mental images, this is crazy. This is church. This is God's picture to you for his promised preservation of his people. 
that he will have holy people, that he will have righteous people, but it will not be by those who just kind of, you know, cut everything down to be better themselves, but it's about God's perfect cutting. You know, Paul says this, we're circumcised of the heart. Man, the work that discipleship that happens in Jesus' name is like when the most, the stuff that we go, oh, we can't live without that, and God just lovingly just cuts it away, and you realize that it never mattered. It wasn't necessary. It wasn't critical. Paul says, no, we, church, are the circumcision. We are the good that's left. When you lean into Jesus, that place that you are living with Christ is the place that you're supposed to be. I would say it's the place you were born for in this spot with Jesus, the delivered, the core. The next thing that he talks about then is, is, is we who worship by the Spirit of God. The word worship can mean singing to some of you, right? For sure. We come and sing. But it means more than that. And it's this idea, and I want to get these two points out to you. It's this idea of a workman who's been hired and qualified in the Holy Spirit of God. So all of a sudden, now you want you to see, because Paul's building something here. He says, lean into the grace of Christ. And then he says, you're workmen who are qualified to do the work. You're called to do the work, and you're qualified. If you know Jesus is Savior, you are called to be part of God's solution. You're called to be part of the, the circumcision, the remnant, the people of God. And he says, in this place, you're going to worship God, but you're going to be called and qualified to serve. This is a big problem, because like, if you're like me, you're like, man, I am not qualified to serve. I am not qualified. You can have this argument with God forever, like, God, I'm not holy enough. I don't know enough. I haven't prayed enough. I haven't understood enough. I don't read enough scripture. I don't hang out with enough Christian people. I haven't read enough books. I haven't gone to enough seminars. And you can get all stressed out, but listen to what God says. Or Paul says here, that you are the people of God. You are those who are called and qualified by the Spirit of God. It's not about you. And it's unbelievable when you start to unpack that a bit. And you could just spend all of our time, we could spend all our time in, in that today. But look, he goes on with the list. Now, he said three things to watch out for. Mutilators of the flesh, evil workers, and dogs. And here he says, we are circumcision. We are those who worship God by the Spirit. And we are those who glory in Christ Jesus. And I, you know, I want to talk, if you're going to boast about something, boast about Jesus. If you're going to, the word means hold your head high. If you're going to walk around with your chest out and your head up, it should not be about how, look how good I am. But man, Jesus is so awesome. He has done so much in my life. He has delivered me from so many sins and so much heartache and so much failure. He's given me so much hope. Paul says, glory. It's we who glory in Jesus the Messiah. And you, I'm going to tell you something. Whether you're at Family Bible Church or you're anywhere else, if you're a Christian, you can cling to that. You can walk in this world boldly and brag about Jesus and what he's done. Right? Just do it, man. You know? I mean, we spend some time on the beach, and like the beach is not always where I want to be, <laughs> you know what I mean? Because I'm like from the Midwest, I'm pale, and I'm slightly overweight. I'm just saying, the BMI says I'm overweight. And so you got these people who are like, burr, 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 you know, like they take, and it's like, oh, the glory. I can't stand to be in the same beach with you, right? But then I realized, wait, this isn't, a, this is Jesus. 
is like that. Jesus is like our righteousness. He's our holy, he's our beauty, he's our glory. And we can celebrate that. I hope no matter where you go in your life, if you know Jesus, that you will never forget that he is your glory. He is your pride. He is why we hold our heads high in spite of the world. Paul then. So, oh, I want to ask a question. And I don't have my screens to help me, so you're going to have to work with me with your, con- your engagement sheets there. But the question is this. Uh, what area of your life do you need to lean into Jesus? Right? And, and I mean that for you, you know, in your own life. Like, what area of your life do you need just to, to lean in? I have this image on the why of like just this spot right here, man. Just being right up close with Jesus. Like, oh, Jesus, the day I've had. And just lean in. Or the problems I got. And just what area do you need to lean into Christ? And then the second question is kind of like it. It's the same question, but it's this. What area do you need to lean into Christ, meaning to be graceful to others? To put down the broadsword, right? To lay it aside and be like, I'm not going to cut you down. And, and, and just lean into the lordship of Jesus. Let him be God. I, I think that's a critical place to start as we consider the scripture today from uh, Philippians 3. Man, those two things, uh, us needing and leaning into Jesus, and then us allowing Jesus to be God and, and extending grace, letting people lean into God, encouraging people. Like, man, just lean into God some more on this. Trust God. Let me pray with you about that and just seek God out. And don't pray answers. You know, oh, God, you know that Bobby needs to stop sinning and Bobby needs to change. Bobby, Bob, no. Man, be like, God, you just give him some grace. Draw him into your irreversible love. Compel him toward your gospel. Invite others in to the grace of Christ. Where do you need to do that in your life? I think it's our call. It's our call to do it. So Paul says this then, though I myself have a reason for confidence. Now he's going to go through a list. If anyone else thinks he has reasons to put confidence in his flesh, I have more. Oh, I skipped something, by the way. I want to say this before I move on. Those who put no confidence in the flesh. Those who put no confidence. He doesn't say those who put less confidence. No confidence in the flesh. And we're going to talk about that in a minute. All right. If anyone else thinks he has reasons to put confidence in his flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day, right? He was a proper Jew. Um, Let's see. Of the people of Israel, he was born in the right nation. The right, you know, people group. Of the tribe of Benjamin, he was born in the right family a Hebrew of Hebrews, like even in his religious class, he was the guy that had all the answers. He was in the front. He was a teacher's pet. He knew what was going on. In regard to the law of Pharisee, and the Pharisees believed that they were set aside for God's glory. So he's the guy in the Good Samaritan story who would cross the street to keep from being defiled by the dirty, you know, beat up guy. Like he is properly set aside for God. He has lived above it all, man. He don't have dirty hymns on his clothes. You know, he's right. He's righteous here. That's what he says uh, uh, in a minute. A Pharisee, though, set aside. As for zeal, persecuting the church. Um, some of you guys might relate to this, but he was a hunter 
of the people of God. You know what I mean? Like, Paul wasn't the guy that if you came into a synagogue, he would tell you why you were wrong about your faith. He was the guy that would be walking down the sidewalk with like a, a, a crosshairs, you know what I mean? Like the sniper rifle and looking. On the, and he would see and he's like, that's a Christian, I'm taking him down. And he would zealously, you know, he, remember he was killing Christians in his righteousness for God. He was a hunter of the church, seeking them out to destroy them. And then here's the last one. And we think, there's some progression here. As for legalistic righteousness, flawless. Flawless. Paul says, whenever I was a Pharisee, you could have made any accusation. Don't miss this, church. Paul says, whenever I was a Pharisee, you could have made any allegation against me, and it would not have stuck. Because I lived a holy life. I did the right things. I made the right choices. I had the right friends. Paul says, that was my life before Jesus. Which is crazy. It's crazy. So, my second question for you is this. Because I think this is where the church gets to, man. What righteousness of your own are you still hanging on to? What, I'll tell you a little, a little story about how I think Christianity goes sometimes for people, okay? You live your life, and you're kind of oblivious to what's going on around you. You make some mistakes, but everybody does. It's okay, live and let live. And then, then you start to realize that, man, there's something bigger going on in this life, and the things are piling up, and I've made some huge mistakes, and you start to maybe believe things that, like, I can't be forgiven. No one's going to love me. Your parents have disowned you. You can't go home anymore. You're all out of money. You know, whatever it is for you. you you've, 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 you've taken that one thing that was entrusted to your care, and you broke it. Like, there's no way. You can restore it. It's unfixable. And for, for those of us who come to know Christ, we get to this place in our life where we are so desperate, and we, we know we can't fix this anymore, that we, return, we turn to God. It says you repent. You turn to God. In your moment of need, in your moment of joy, in your moment of hope, you turn to God, and you say, God, I need you so much. And God does a miracle, and he saves you. I mean, he really saves you. Like, you feel it instantly. Like, the weight is off, you know? Like, everything is different. The world looks different. The flowers smell different. Your wife is different. Your kids are different. The work is different. Everything changes, and, you, and that happens. And, and we, we can't believe it. We're just, oh, and we love Jesus, and we celebrate Jesus. And then we start to live our lives again. And over time, we start hanging out at church more. And we start doing the right things and making wise decisions and doing good things with our money and our kids and our spouse, you know, and, and forsaking things that are bad. And we're on the do's and the don'ts list and we kind of know what the Ten Commandments are and we know all these things and we start. But here's the problem. There begins this gradual return for some of us if we're not careful. Maybe it's not you. I mean, I'll give you a break today. Maybe you go, Bill, it's only you. But I tell you what, man, we got this gradual return where we start to look at our lives and say, you know what, I'm not that bad. I'm not that bad. Matter of fact, I'm pretty good. Look at the world, man. You're, I'm pretty good. You start saying to your spouse, you're lucky to have me. You know how many other husbands or wives would want a, a husband or wife like me? Say to your kids, you're, you're so blessed. You don't even know how bad the other parents are. And we start to believe the lie that we have righteousness of our own. It's, it's of us. 
And then we get around church life and we start to do things and we, we, we start to clean up for each other. I'm just going to be honest, right? We start to, we don't tell dirty jokes. We, we don't cuss when we're around the pastor. None of you cuss around me. I know you cuss, don't you? You're in church, tell the truth. But you don't cuss around me. You don't cuss at Bible study either. You don't drink when you're at certain places and you kind of segment your life. You have these little secrets that you keep from the rest of the people of God because you're too afraid you won't be loved if they know the truth. And you put on a facade of righteousness which has nothing to do with the gospel. Nothing. And you just pretend. You hold your breath and wait for the end. I got news for you. And Paul says it. I mean, you think about Paul. He was in his middle of his life as a righteous man when he met Jesus. You know, Timothy, we know he's a young guy, and Paul, no. He had a lot invested in this self-righteousness he built up. But in the moment of meeting Jesus, and he never forgot it, he says, man, that is not what I'm called to. Check it out. So, so I mean, what, you know, think about the things you're clinging to, and Paul's going to tell us what to do with them next. What do we do with the things we're clinging to for righteousness? Verse 7, but whatever was to my profit, I now consider a loss for the sake of Christ. When he says loss, he means it was a bad deal, you know? It was a bad business deal. He, he, he left, you know, he didn't exchange and it wasn't worth it. It was, a, it was unprofitable. It was a bad, it was like a financial thing. It was a bad deal. He got taken. What is more, he says, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ my Lord. And I want to spend a minute sitting on that, kind of what he impacts there. Paul says, all the righteousness I told you about, I consider it a loss, a bad deal. But compared to what? Compared to the surpassing uh, righteousness, a knowledge of Christ Jesus, the surpassing knowledge of Christ Jesus. That doesn't mean he knew about Jesus. He knew about the Messiah. He certainly finally saw that, right? All of his, his understanding as a holy man came together in the person of Jesus Christ. But then he says this, in the surpassing knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord, my Jesus. So Paul as he begins to examine his life and his righteousness, and he looks at Jesus, and he looks at his stuff, he says, there's nothing, nothing that can compare to Jesus. Nothing. And so what Paul begins to do is he begins to undress himself. You know what I mean? He begins to take off the holiness. You'll remember Paul is a guy who shredded his garments in front of people. Like, he's like, it's not about my righteousness, it's about Jesus. He says, it's the superior knowledge of Christ, my Lord, that outshines everything else I could want in life. And I got news, man, and I'm the same way. We spend our lives worrying about so much tedious stuff, silly stuff. And we can see it clearly when we examine Christ, Jesus himself, and we say, it's not worth it. He's worth it, but it's not worth it. And then we're called into his righteousness. That's what Paul, Paul says here. But whatever is to my profit, I now count as a loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. Now here, for whose sake I have lost 
all things. That, I, I don't like that translates there because it says, for whose sake I have lost all things. Like he's like, I don't know where they are anymore. I kind of wish I had them still. It means for, for the sake of Christ, he threw everything out. That's what it means. It's not passive, like he kind of forgot about it. It's like he vehemently threw things out of his life because of Jesus. He's like, yeah, you know, this thing is really fun, but Jesus is better. You know what I mean? Th this addiction is really fun, but Jesus is better. M my anger and my rage is really fun, but Jesus is better. My plans for life are really cool, but Jesus is better. And he says, I systematically threw out everything. I can see some of you don't believe me. Read what he says next. I consider them rubbish that I might gain Christ. All his righteousness, his circumcision in eight days, his Israelite lineage, his family, his own works, his knowledge, he considered garbage. Considered garbage. I, um, I had an experience a few weeks ago where um, we were coming going out of our house, and there was this awful smell in the garage. I'm blessed to have an attached garage. We didn't have one for years, and when I got one, it's amazing. But one bad thing is if you keep your trash cans in there, you know if you had that experience, and we keep, we're kind of lazy, so we put it right by the back door, so we can come out and throw the trash in the trash can. And we had put some fruit in there or something, or maybe some food. I don't know what it was, but it was nasty. I don't mean a little gross. I mean like you could smell it in the car when you pulled into You're like, what is the smell? And then the family would like run to the house and they'd be like, oh, get me past there. And no one wanted to go out in the garage to do anything. And it was awful. And, um, and it was like a great mystery. What's causing it? We don't know. <laughs> we don't know. It's a great mystery. And I'm like, I think it's the trash can. I brought it for you this morning to check it out. I'm like, I think it's the trash can. And so I popped that baby. Whoa. And it was like that kind of smell that you're like, you know, anybody wakes up and he's like, you know. And, and I'm like, I gotta clean this thing out, man. And so I, I took all the trash out of it. I waited till trash day came. And, um, I left it closed the whole time just for you. Isn't that nice of me? <laughs> and, and then I took it. It smells awful still. I mean, it smells so bad. And then I took it out and I poured bleach in it and water and I set it in the sun and tried to let it sterilize itself. And, oh, it's so bad. Paul says, that's what my righteousness is like. It makes me sick. My own holiness. I can't get rid of it fast enough. And I brought trash today for this reason, and I don't know what it is for you, man. I'll tell you, I'm going to tell you something right now. One of mine is knowledge to be right. Right? Oh, I'm so sick of that. I don't want to be right. I want to be holy. I want to be right with God. And so you take your whatever it is, man, and you just throw it in. And Paul's like, man, for me, it was, I'm going to take a bunch of this over because I can go faster, but he's like, for me, it was like my own circumcision. I'm so sick of it. Or my family, I'm tired of counting on them to be my righteousness. Or the people of Israel, I'm so tired of this. I, I don't want it. My holy robes, man, I can't get dirty. I can't touch the lepers. I can't help the ailing. I can't love those who are lovable. I'm so sick of it. And he takes it off for the sake of Christ. Over and over again. And there's lots of things in our lives, man, that we can have like that. 
I told you before, like an addiction that just got a hold of you and you're sick of in your life. You know, you can't stop doing it. And, and Christ's spirit in you hates it. And he wants to drive it from you. Not so you can go look at how cool I am, but man, Jesus is in it. Or anger. That's a big one. I'm tired of being so angry. What is it for you? I'm tired of pretending. I'm, I'm tired of being fake with the people at church. I'm tired of being afraid that if I told the truth, people wouldn't love me anymore. And we can just go on and on. But the good news is this. Paul says, man, all that stuff that I threw away was nothing compared to Jesus himself. Nothing. What is it in your life that you need to just throw away? I said, I'm going to teach you how to deal with religious people. We're the worst. What do we need to get rid of? Sick of it. It's not good enough for Jesus. It's, it's not. I'm not going to give my life to that. I'll give my life to Christ. He calls us to consider these things garbage. Paul, when he says garbage here, refuse, it means like things that are thrown to dogs. It's rotting food. It's nasty. It's non-edible. It's not healthy. He says, I count them rubbish, consider them rubbish, that I might gain Christ and be found in him. Not, listen, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Jesus. The righteousness that comes from God and is by faith. We trade all this holiness, all this church stuff. You know what I mean? Like, am I, am I making sense this morning? We just get rid of it for the sake of Jesus because he's better. He's better. And, and if you're like me, that stuff will creep into your life. And Paul's writing to the believers in Philippi, and he's like, don't let that stuff creep back in. Cast it off for the sake of Christ. I want to know Christ, Paul says, his greatest desire, the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him even in his death so that somehow I can attain a resurrection from the dead. All these things aren't worth it if we don't have Jesus. I know I give you a lot today, man, but, and I hope you read that. I, if you're in a family group, we're going to talk about that this week. But don't be afraid of that. Like, family groups are places you can be honest about what's going on in your life. If you want to talk, I, I mentioned these things here earlier, engagement sheets. If there's a prayer concern that you want us to be praying for you, with you, about, write it down and we'll pray. We won't call you or nothing. But if you want to meet with us and talk through some stuff, I'm telling you, I've sat with people and talked about crazy stuff that God wants to save you from. Don't be afraid of that. God will heal you. So today we're going to do something that's a little different. We're going to have communion this morning. If you, if you know Christ as Savior, this table is set for you. I want to tell you, if you don't know Jesus as your Savior, you can receive him this morning. Just like say, God, I need your help. I need your, in, you know, your, uh, uh, your, your salvation. I need your influence. I need your leadership in my life. And you can come to the table and receive communion today. I kind of put out all those pieces of paper this morning. All of you saw them all over the place. Little, they're meaningless pieces of paper. But I'm going to invite you today that if, if you feel compelled, and we're going to pray, and then we're going to come and have communion. But if you feel compelled, I want you to think about what that thing is that God wants you to let go of for his glory. And I don't know what it is. 
But I want you to think about it. And if you have one, if you have one, I want you to bring that paper up here and I want you to just throw it in the trash. And over here we have Jesus. The, the table he sat through his crucifixion, right? He says, this is my body broken for you. This is my cup poured out for the forgiveness of all your sins. And we're going to do something called intinction. And you can take a, a, a cracker and you just dip it and receive it. And it says, the scripture says, it's to remind us of Jesus' love his presence, and his certain return. Receive him today. Consider these things. And as you're led, come up. You can throw things away if you want. You can certainly come to the table of Christ and lean into the grace of Jesus. Pray with me if you would. Father God, today we are so honored to be drawn into your presence. We, we recognize freely that we are not worthy, and yet you have saved us. You are saving us. You will save us. You are so good to us. And Father, I confess that we cling to our righteousness. After being delivered from the greatest predicament of our lives, after being spared from hell and eternity separated from you, we somehow turn to our own ways again. Would you forgive us for that sin? Father, for my friends who are gathered here today, I pray that your Holy Spirit would be gentle, but yet remind us. And I ask the same thing for me. Lord, remind me of those things that I need to throw away. I need to let go of so that I might attain Christ, I might receive him with open hands. And Father, would you do that for all of our friends here today as we remember the promise Jesus made. If he goes ahead, he certainly will come back and retrieve us. We want freedom in Jesus. We want Jesus himself. May you do that work by the power of your spirit, spirit and the obedience of your people today. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.